Section 4 of The Journal of a Tour to the Hebrides through Samuel Johnson by James Boswell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anthony Ogus. Friday, 20th August. Dr. Shaw, the Professor of Divinity, breakfasted with us. I took out my Ogden and prayer and read some of it to the company. Dr. Johnson praised him. Abernethy, said he, allows only of a physical effect of prayer upon the mind, which may be produced many ways as well as by prayer, for instance by meditation. Ogden goes farther. In truth we have the consent of all nations for the efficacy of prayer, whether offered up by individuals or by assemblies, and Revelation has told us it will be effectual. I said Leachman seemed to incline to Abernethy's doctrine. Dr. Watson observed that Leachman meant to show that even admitting no effect to be produced by prayer respecting the deity, it was useful to our own minds. He had given only a part of his system. Dr. Johnson thought he should have given the whole. Dr. Johnson enforced the strict observance of Sunday. It should be different, he observed, from another day. People may walk, but not throw stones at birds. There may be relaxation, but there should be no levity. We went and saw Colonel Nairn's garden and grotto. Here was a fine old plane tree. Unluckily, the Colonel said, there was but this and another large tree in the county. This assertion was an excellent cue for Dr. Johnson, who laughed enormously, calling to me to hear it. He had expiated to me on the nakedness of that part of Scotland which he had seen. His journey had been violently abused for what he has said upon this subject. But let it be considered that when Dr. Johnson talks of trees, he means trees of good size, such as he was accustomed to see in England, and of these there are certainly very few upon the eastern coast of Scotland. Besides, he said that he meant to give only a map of the road, and let any traveller observe how many trees which deserve the name he can see from the road from Berwick to Aberdeen. Had Dr. Johnson said, there are no trees upon this line, he would have said what is colloquially true, because by no trees in common speech we mean few. When he is particular in counting he may be attacked. I know not how Colonel Nairn came to say there were but two large trees in the county of Fife. I did not perceive that he smiled. There are certainly not a great many, but I could have shown him more than two at Balmuto, from whence my ancestors came, and which now belongs to a branch of my family. The grotto was ingeniously constructed. In the front of it were petrified stocks of fir, plain, and some other tree. Dr. Johnson said, Scotland has no right to boast of this grotto, it is owing to personal merit. I never denied personal merit to many of you. Professor Shaw said to me as we walked, This is a wonderful man. He's a master of every subject he handles. Dr. Watson allowed him a very strong understanding, but wondered at his total inattention to established manners as he came from London. I have not preserved in my journal any of the conversation which passed between Dr. Johnson and Professor Shaw, but I recollect Dr. Johnson said to me afterwards, I took much to Shaw. 
We left St Andrews about noon, and some miles from it, observing at Lucas a church with an old tower, we stopped to look at it. The manse, as the parsonage house is called in Scotland, was close by. I waited on the minister, mentioned our names, and begged he would tell us what he knew about it. He was a very civil old man, but could only inform us that it was supposed to have stood eight hundred years. He told us there was a colony of Danes in his parish, that they had landed at a remote period of time and still remained a distinct people. Dr. Johnson shrewdly inquired whether they had brought women with them. We were not satisfied as to this colony. We saw this day Dundee and Aberbrothick, the last of which Dr. Johnson had celebrated in his journey. Upon the road we talked of the Roman Catholic faith. He mentioned, I think, Tillotson's argument against transubstantiation, that we are as sure we see bread and wine only as that we read in the Bible the text on which that false doctrine is founded. We have only the evidence of our senses for both. If, he added, God had never spoken figuratively, we might hold that he speaks literally when he says, This is my body. Boswell But what do you say, sir, to the ancient and continued tradition of the church upon this point? Johnson Tradition, sir, has no place where the scriptures are plain, and tradition cannot persuade a man into a belief of transubstantiation. Able men, indeed, have said they believed it. This is an awful subject. I did not then press Dr. Johnson upon it, nor shall I now enter upon a disquisition concerning the import of those words uttered by our Saviour, which had such an effect upon many of his disciples that they went back and walked no more with him. The Catechism and Solemn Office for Communion in the Church of England maintain a mysterious belief in more than a mere commemoration of the death of Christ by partaking of the elements of bread and wine. Dr. Johnson put me in mind that at St. Andrews I had defended my profession very well when the question had again been started whether a lawyer might honestly engage with the first side that offers him a fee. Sir, said I, it was your arguments against Sir William Forbes, but it was much that I could wield the arms of Goliath. He said our judges had not gone deep in the question concerning literary property. I mentioned Lord Monboddo's opinion that if a man could get a work by heart, he might print it, as by such an act the mind is exercised. Johnson. No, sir. A man's repeating it no more makes it his property than a man may sell a cow which he drives home. I said printing in an abridgment of a work was allowed, which was only cutting the horns and tail off the cow. Johnson. No, sir. Tis making the cow have a calf. About eleven at night we arrived at Montrose. We found but a sorry inn, where I myself saw another waiter put a lump of sugar with his fingers into Dr. Johnson's lemonade, for which he called him Rascal. It put me in great glee that our landlord was an Englishman. I rallied the doctor upon this, and he grew quiet. Both Sir John Hawkins and Dr. Burney's History of Music had then been advertised. I asked if this was not unlucky. Would not they hurt one another? Johnson. No, sir. They will do good to one another, 
Some will buy the one, some the other, and compare them, and so a talk is made about a thing, and the books are sold. He was angry at me for proposing to carry lemons with us to Skye, that he might be sure to have his lemonade. Sir, said he, I do not wish to be thought that feeble man who cannot do without anything. Sir, it is very mad manners to carry provisions to any man's house, as if he could not entertain you. To an inferior it is oppressive, to a superior it is insolent. Having taken the liberty this evening to remark to Dr. Johnson that he very often sat quite silent for a long time, even when in company with only a single friend, which I myself had sometimes sadly experienced, he smiled and said, It is true, sir, Tom Tyers, for so he familiarly called our ingenious friend, who since his death has paid a biographical tribute to his memory, Tom Tyers described me the best. He once said to me, Sir, you are like a ghost. You never speak till you are spoken to. Saturday, 21st August Neither the Reverend Mr. Nisbet, the established minister, nor the Reverend Mr. Spooner, the Episcopal minister, were in town. Before breakfast we went and saw the town hall, where is a good dancing room, and other rooms for tea-drinking. The appearance of the town from it is very well, but many of the houses are built with their ends to the street, which looks awkward. When we came down from it, I met Mr. Glegg, a merchant here. He went with us to see the English chapel. It is situated on a pretty dry spot, and there is a fine warp to it. It is really an elegant building, both within and without. The organ is adorned with green and gold. Dr. Johnson gave a shilling extraordinary to the clerk, saying, He belongs to an honest church. I put him in mind that Episcopals were but dissenters here. They were only tolerated. Sir, said he, we are here as Christians in Turkey. He afterwards went into an apothecary's shop and ordered some medicine for himself and wrote the prescription in technical characters. The boy took him for a physician. I doubted much which road to take, whether to go by the coast or by Lawrence Kirk and Monboddo. I knew Lord Monboddo and Dr. Johnson did not love each other, yet I was unwilling not to visit his lordship, and was also curious to see them together. I mentioned my doubts to Dr. Johnson, who said he would go two miles out of his way to see Lord Monboddo. I therefore sent Joseph forward with the following note. Montrose, 21st August. My dear lord, thus far I am come with Mr. Samuel Johnson. We must be at Aberdeen to-night. I know you do not admire him so much as I do, but I cannot be in this country without making you a bow at your old place, as I do not know if I may again have an opportunity of seeing Monboddo. Besides, Mr. Johnson says he would go two miles out of his way to see Lord Monboddo. I have sent forward my servant, that we may know if your lordship be at home. I am ever, my dear lord, most sincerely yours, James Boswell. As we travelled onwards from Montrose, we had the Grampian Hills in our view, and some good land around us, but void of trees and hedges. Dr. Johnson has said ludicrously in his journey that the hedges were of stone, for instead of the verdant thorn to refresh the eye, we found the bare wall or dyke intersecting the prospect. 
he observed that it was wonderful to see a country so divested, so denuded of trees. We stopped at Lawrence Kirk, where our great grammarian, Ruddiman, was once schoolmaster. We respectfully remembered that excellent man, an eminent scholar, by whose labours a knowledge of the Latin language will be preserved in Scotland, if it shall be preserved at all. Lord Gardenstone, one of our judges, collected money to raise a monument to him at this place, which I hope will be well executed. I know my father gave five guineas towards it. Lord Gardenstone is the proprietor of Lawrence Kirk, and has encouraged the building of a manufacturing village of which he is exceedingly fond, and has written a pamphlet upon it, as if he had founded Thebes, in which, however, there are many useful precepts strongly expressed. The village seemed to be irregularly built, some of the houses being of clay, some of brick, and some of brick and stone. Dr. Johnson observed they thatched well here. I was little acquainted with Mr. Forbes, the minister of the parish. I sent to inform him that a gentleman desired to see him. He returned for answer that he would not come to a stranger. I then gave my name, and he came. I remonstrated to him for not coming to a stranger, and by presenting him to Dr. Johnson, proved to him what a stranger might sometimes be. His Bible inculcates, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers and mentions the same motive. He defended himself by saying he had once come to a stranger who sent for him, and he found him a little worth person. Dr. Johnson insisted on stopping at the inn, as I told him that Lord Gardenstone had furnished it with a collection of books, that travellers might have entertainment for the mind as well as the body. He praised the design, but wished there had been more books, and those better chosen. About a mile from Monboddo, where you turn off the road, Joseph was waiting to tell us my lord expected us to dinner. We drove over a wild moor. It rained, and the scene was somewhat dreary. Dr. Johnson repeated with solemn emphasis Macbeth's speech on meeting the witches. As we travelled on, he told me, Sir, you got into our club by doing what a man can do. Several of the members wished to keep you out. Burt told me he doubted if you were fit for it, but now you're in, none of them are sorry. Burke says that you have so much good humour naturally, it is scarce a virtue. Boswell, they were afraid of you, sir, as it was you who proposed me. Johnson, sir, they knew that if they refused you, they'd probably never have got in another. I'd have kept them all out. Beauclerk was very earnest for you. Boswell, Beauclerk has a keenness of mind which is very uncommon. Johnson. Yes, sir, and everything comes from him so easily. It appears to me that I labour when I say a good thing. Boswell. You are loud, sir, but it is not an effort of mind. Monboddo is a wretched place, wild and naked, with a poor old house, though if I recollect right there are two turrets which mark an old baron's residence. Lord Monboddo received us at his gate most courteously, pointed to the Douglas arms upon his house, and told us that his great-grandmother was of that family. In such houses, said he, our ancestors lived, who are better men than we. No, no, my lord, said Dr. Johnson, we are as strong as they, and a good deal wiser. This was an assault upon one of Lord Monboddo's capital dogmas, 
and I was afraid there would have been a violent altercation in the very close before we got into the house. But his lordship is distinguished not only for ancient metaphysics, but for ancient politesse, la vieille cour, and he made no reply. His lordship was dressed in a rustic suit and wore a little round hat. He told us we now saw him as Farmer Burnet, and we should have his family dinner, a farmer's dinner. He said, I should not have forgiven Mr. Boswell had he not brought you here, Dr. Johnson. He produced a very long stalk of corn as a specimen of his crop and said, You see here the later sagates. He added that Virgil seemed to be as enthusiastic a farmer as he, and was certainly a practical one. Johnson, he does not always follow, my lord, that a man who has written a good poem on an art has practised it. Philip Miller told me that in Philip's side of a poem all the precepts were just, and indeed better than in books written for the purpose of instructing, yet Philip's had never made cider. I started the subject of emigration. Johnson, to a man of mere animal life, you can urge no argument against going to America, but that it will be some time before he will get the earth to produce. But a man of any intellectual enjoyment will not easily go and immerse himself and his posterity for ages in barbarism. He and my lord spoke highly of Homer. Johnson, he had all the learning of his age. The shield of Achilles shows a nation in war, a nation in peace. Harvest sport, nay, stealing. Monbodo, I am what we, looking to me, would call a Parliament house scene, a cause pleaded. Johnson, that is part of the life of a nation in peace and there are in Homer such characters of heroes and combinations of qualities of heroes that the united powers of mankind ever since have not produced any but what are to be found there. Monbodo, yet no character is described. Johnson, no, they all develop themselves. Agamemnon is always a gentleman-like character. He has always a certain quality of kingliness. That the ancients held so is plain from this, that Euripides in his Hecuba makes him the person to interpose. Monbodo. The history of manners is the most valuable. I never set a high value on any other history. Johnson. Nor I, and therefore I esteem biography as giving us what comes near to ourselves, what we can turn to use. Boswell. But in the course of general history we find manners. In wars we see the dispositions of people, their degrees of humanity, and other particulars. Johnson. Yes, but then you must take all the facts to get this, and it is but a little you get. Monbodo. And it is that little which makes history valuable. Bravo, thought I. They agree like two brothers. Monbodo. I am sorry, Dr. Johnson, you were not longer at Edinburgh to receive the homage of our men of learning. Johnson. My lord, I received great respect and great kindness. Boswell. He goes back to Edinburgh after our tour. We talked of the decrease of learning in Scotland and of the muse's welcome. Johnson. Learning is much decreased in England in my remembrance. Monbodo. You, sir, have lived to see its decrease in England. I, its extinction in Scotland. However, I brought him to confess that the high school of Edinburgh did well. Johnson. 
Learning has decreased in England because learning will not do so much for a man as formerly. There are other ways of getting preferment. Few bishops are now made for their learning. To be a bishop a man must be learned in a learned age, factious in a factious age, but always of eminence. Warburton is an exception, though his learning alone did not raise him. He was first an antagonist to Pope, and helped Theobald to publish his Shakespeare. But seeing Pope the rising man, when Crusas attacked his essay on man for some faults which it has, and some which it has not, Warburton defended it in the review of that time. This brought him acquainted with Pope, and he gained his friendship. Pope introduced him to Allen, Allen married him to his niece, so by Allen's interest in his own he was made a bishop. But then his learning was the sine qua non. He knew how to make the most of it, but I do not find by any dishonest means. Monboddo. He is a great man. Johnson. Yes, he has great knowledge, great power of mind. Hardly any man brings greater variety of learning to bear upon his point. Monboddo. He is one of the greatest lights of your church. Johnson. Why, we're not so sure of his being very friendly to us. He blazes, if you will, but that is not always the steadiest light. Loth is another bishop who has risen by his learning. Dr. Johnson examined young Arthur, Lord Monboddo's son, in Latin. He answered very well, upon which he said with complacency, Get you gone. When King James comes back, you shall be in the muse's welcome. My lord and Dr. Johnson disputed a little whether the savage or the London shopkeeper had the best existence, his lordship as usual preferring the savage. My lord was extremely hospitable, and I saw both Dr. Johnson and him liking each other better every hour. Dr. Johnson, having retired for a short time, his lordship spoke of his conversation as I could have wished. Dr. Johnson had said, I have done greater feats with my knife than this, though he had eaten a very hearty dinner. My lord, who affects or believes he follows an abstemious system, seemed struck with Dr. Johnson's manner of living. I had a particular satisfaction in being under the roof of Monboddo, my lord being my father's old friend, and having been always very good to me. We were cordial together. He asked Dr. Johnson and me to stay all night. When I said we must be at Aberdeen, he replied, Well, I am like the Romans. I shall say to you, happy to come, happy to depart. He thanked Dr. Johnson for his visit. Johnson, I little thought when I had the honour to meet your lordship in London that I should see you at Monboddo. After dinner, as the ladies were going away, Dr. Johnson would stand up. He insisted that politeness was of great consequence in society. It is said he, fictitious benevolence. It supplies the place of it amongst those who see each other only in public, or but little. Depend upon it, the want of it never fails to produce something disagreeable to one or other. I have always applied to good breeding what Addison in his Cato says of honour. Honour's a sacred tie, the law of kings, the noble mind's distinguishing perfection, that aids and strengthens virtue where it meets her, and imitates her actions where she is not. When he took up his large oak stick, he said, My lord, that's Homeric. 
thus pleasantly alluding to his lordship's favourite writer. Gorey, my lord's black servant, was sent as our guide to conduct us to the high road. The circumstance of each of them having a black servant was another point of similarity between Johnson and Mombodo. I observed how curious it was to see an African in the north of Scotland, with little or no difference of manners from those of the natives. Dr. Johnson laughed to see Gorey and Joseph riding together most cordially. "'Those two fellows,' said he, "'one from Africa, the other from Bohemia, seem quite at home.' He was much pleased with Lord Mombodo today. He said he would have pardoned him for a few paradoxes when he found he had so much that was good, but that, from his appearance in London, he thought him all paradox, which would not do. He observed that his lordship had taught no paradoxes today. "'And as to the savage and the London shopkeeper,' said he, "'I don't know, but I might have taken the side of the savage equally "'had anybody else taken the side of the shopkeeper.' He had said to my lord, in opposition to the value of the savage's courage, that it was owing to his limited power of thinking, and repeated Pope's verses in which Macedonia's madman is introduced, and the conclusion is, yet ne'er looks forward farther than his nose. I objected to the last phrase as being low. Johnson, sir, it is intended to be low. It is satire. The expression is debased, to debase the character. When Gorey was about to part from us, Dr. Johnson called to him, Mr. Gorey, give me leave to ask you a question. Are you baptised? Gorey told him he was, and confirmed by the Bishop of Durham. He then gave him a shilling. We had tedious driving that afternoon, and were somewhat drowsy. Last night I was afraid Dr. Johnson was beginning to faint in his resolution, for he said, if we must ride much, we shall not go, and there's an end on't. Today, when he talked of sky with spirit, I said, Why, sir, you seem to me to despond yesterday. You're a delicate Londoner. You're a macaroni. You can't ride. Johnson, sir, I shall ride better than you. I was only afraid I should not find a horse able to carry me. I hope then there will be no fear of getting through our wild tour. We came to Aberdeen at half an hour past eleven. The new inn, we were told, was full. This was comfortless. The waiter, however, asked if one of our names was Boswell, and brought me a letter left at the inn. It was from Mr. Thrale, enclosing one to Dr. Johnson. Finding who I was, we were told they would contrive to lodge us by putting us for a night into a room with two beds. The waiter said to me, in the broad, strong Aberdeenshire dialect, I thought I knew you by your likeness to your father. My father puts up at the new inn, when on his circuit. Little was said to-night. I was to sleep in a little press-bed in Dr. Johnson's room. I had it wheeled out into the dining-room, and there I lay very well. End of section 4